Hi, my name is Merla. I, I suppose you'd describe me now as mum and nanny. <laughs> I was a school teacher in the public school system for about 45 years. I always worked in the public school system and that was quite a challenge as a Christian sometimes. But I'm always very grateful to God that in virtually every school I was ever in, there were other Christians and we could support one another. I was a primary school primary teacher school, so. and I taught from K to six. I obviously go to this church at the moment, but I first came to this church when it was Cronulla Uniting Church and am now a member as of New Beginnings Uniting Church. There have been many unexpected uh, moments in my life. Um, at some stages I've not understood at all why God had me in that situation or why I had been asked about something. Uh, I reacted at first, I suppose, oh, why me? You know, who? No, not me. When I, I had been enjoying years of just being a classroom teacher, doing all sorts of things, and I got asked to take on other executive roles and higher ones and whatnot. And that was a big challenge for me because I wasn't sure whether that was going to suit my family situation or whatever. But I um, prayed about it because I was very hesitant to um, actually do it. And prayed about it a lot. I uh, read the Bible, I talked to friends and asked their comments and advice and all those sorts of things. And then one day I was simply hanging the washing on the line while I was still dearly daddling, not making a proper decision and everything. And it was as clear as a bell. There was absolutely nowhere within Cooey, nobody else was in Cooey. Mula, do it. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord, that must be you. It can't be anybody else. So I um, heard the call, took up the challenge and stepped out in faith and did the best I could because I think um, as I got older, I've realised that um, God knows what we can handle. He knows the skills we have. Um, if we do the best we can using those skills, he will do the rest. Yeah, after all, he is in control. How good is it to be in the house of God this morning, with the house, with the people of God? It's just such a blessing. And whether you're sitting here or you're online, then this we can share the presence of God. And I think these testimonies are just so powerful hearing how God has worked in, in different people's lives in different ways. And it just shows that God uses unexpected people. He uses ordinary people. He wants to use us. It's part of his plan. And so we're in the series, Who Me? God Calls Unexpected People. And today we're looking at Who Me? 
God calls me, God calls you. So every person who's sitting here today, every person online, God has a call on your life. And, you know, we might look at Simon and Caleb and we might think, yes, you know, God has a call on their lives, but not me. I'm a Christian, but, you know, he doesn't call me to do anything in particular. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, each one of us is God's handiwork. Handiwork meaning that he has crafted you to be the person he wants you to be. He's handcrafted you in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works, which he's already prepared in advance for you to walk in. So God has good works for you to do. It's not just the leaders that we see in the church. Every one of us, God is calling to be part of his kingdom, to be part of the things that he wants done here on earth. So as you sit here today, ask the Lord, you know, God, what are you calling me to do? What is it that you're going to lay on my heart today to do? And, you know, I'm the first to confess that, that I say, who me, Lord? I can't do that or I don't want to do that. Instead of saying to God, yes, yes, here I am, Lord, use me, send me, Lord. And that's the sort of people of God that we want to be. Like the person we're looking at today, a woman called Deborah, and she said yes to God a number of times. And because of her yes, she blessed many, many people. And that's, that's the economy of God. That's the way God works. He blesses us, not so that we can feel lovely and warm and, and comfortable and enjoy the presence of God. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And that happens when we say yes to God. So the challenge today is to be like Deborah and to say yes to the things that God is asking us to do. Now, Deborah was a wife, a prophet, a judge, a warrior, and a leader in Israel at a time when God's people were starting to fall away from God and worship other gods. And to understand her call, the call on her life, we do need to understand where she sits in the history of Israel. So a couple of weeks ago, Joshua was talking about Moses and how God called Moses to lead the people, the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt, to lead them out of that slavery into a promised land, a land that God would give them. Now, they wandered around in the desert, in the wilderness, for about 40 years, but eventually they did enter the promised land and they settled there. And each of the tribes had different parts of the promised land. And they also had... God, God's laws and commandments. And those laws are about how to worship God, different festivals where they would rest, but it was also about how to create a society that was just and right and good and reflected the nature of God. So Israel was to be a nation that was godly, a light to the surrounding nations. And when they settled in that land, God would raise up a judge, and God would speak through that judge 
and, and give people the, the word of the Lord that they needed at the time. So at this time, God was ruling through a person he called a judge. So they didn't have a king as their leader. That would happen much later. The judges would listen to people's arguments and, they, and then the judge would seek guidance from God and then they would share the word of the Lord with the people. So this period of time in the judges, it's after they've settled in the promised land before they have their king and it's about 350 years. And this time is recorded in the book of Judges and it wasn't always a peaceful time. The tribes of Israel were still fighting amongst themselves and the surrounding nations would sometimes come and invade Israel. And so they went into this cycle of strong faithfulness and unfaithfulness. They would come back to God, they'd be following his commandments, and then they would get complacent. And they would start to be interested in the gods of the surrounding nations. And they'd start to worship them. And as that sort of peaked in time, God would allow them, they would recognise that it was God allowing it, that they would be invaded by an enemy army. And then the invasion would happen for a few years. They would finally get tired of it. They'd cry out to God. God would hear them. He would raise up a judge and the judge would then deliver them from their enemies. And then they would live in a time of peace and they would be worshipping God and they'd be following his commandments. And they'd go along like that for a while and then they'd get complacent and they'd start worshipping other gods. And then they would be invaded and then they would cry out and God would deliver them. And this cycle went on a number of times throughout that 350 years. And there were various judges in that time that God raised up to be his voice, to be his deliverer. And you might know some of them. Gideon was one. He put out the fleece before God. He did it a couple of times because he wanted to make sure that what he heard from God was right. Another one was Samson, who was a very strong man, who was uh, deceived by or betrayed by Delilah. And Samuel. And there's two books of the Bible, one and two Samuel, who talk about everything that Samuel did. So Deborah, she was a wife, a prophet, a judge. And the only people in the Bible who share the title of prophet and judge are Moses, Deborah, and Samuel. And of course, Jesus, but he has many more titles. But of the people in the Bible, Moses, Deborah, and Samuel are the only ones who are both prophet and judge. Now, you know, the Old Testament, we can find it difficult to read it sometimes. I mean, I, I love the Old Testament because that's where we see the faithfulness of God. Of course, I love the New Testament because that's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and how to live a Christian life. But in the Old Testament, we see that he calls these people of God in covenant, in relationship with him. You will be my people and I will be your God. And they could be faithful for a while and they had incredible times of faithfulness, but then they would rebel against God. 
And yet we see the steadfast love, the grace, the mercy of God that is just constant, that is not changing. And God, what we do does not affect the way God loves us. God's love for us is not undone by what we do. God's love for us cannot be undone by what we do. It doesn't matter if you're angry with God about the circumstances that are happening in your life. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you don't even believe that there's a God because he loves you. And the book of Judges in particular is probably a difficult book to read. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first one is that there's lots of different names, names that are not familiar to us. So we've got Ehud and Shagmar and, and Sisera and Jabin and Lapidoth. They're not names that, you know, we're familiar with. And so when we read them, it sort of is jarring when we, when we read the story. We sort of, it's like just gobbledygook, just like information in our head that doesn't mean anything. And then even the geographical names, we're not familiar with the, with the geography of the area. So you've got, you know, Naphtali and Zebulun and Kishon and Kadesh and, and Tabor. They don't mean anything to us. But if the story had Bob, Frank and Harry, they lived in Parramatta and they had to go down to Campbelltown, then you would immediately be able to relate to it. So the names and the places are jarring for us and we lose our place in the story. And the second reason why Judges is difficult to read is that, well, it's quite grisly and gruesome. But this was the reality of life in Israel at that time. And for many people around the world now, the threat of war and violence is very, very real. It's a daily reality. It may not be our experience, but it doesn't mean that it isn't a reality for many people now and in the past. And I had a, a small taste of the threat of violence a couple of times in my life. One was during the Cronulla riots. I don't know if you remember that, if you were living here then, but we were told not to go out unless it was absolutely necessary. And I had a small child at the time, so I needed to go out and get supplies. So instead of just jumping in the car and going up the street, I had to stop and think, when is the best time for me to go? And then, how will I get there? What route will I take? What's the safest place for me to park and walk? And then when we were up at the shops, there was this eerie sense of, I don't know, quiet, as people were just looking at each other and wondering if that person was safe. It was quite disconcerting. And of course, I've been overseas in countries where it's quite common for army people in fatigues to be walking around with huge firearms. And again, it, it's sort of, it's, it's jarring. It's not something that, that I'm used to. So we take for granted that we can move around easily, but that was not, that was not the way life was for Israel at the, at the time. And so as we read it, 
then we need to understand that this is a time of war and violence. So, can we put the reading up? Deborah becomes Israel's judge. After Ehud's death, okay, so there's one of the funny names. He was a judge before Deborah, and he had delivered the Israelites from their enemies. But after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So here we see the pattern, that they've had this victory, they've lived in peace for a while, and here they are again turning back to their idols. So the Lord turned them over to a Canaanite king called Jabin. The commander of his army was Sisera. He had 900 chariots and ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So we see here the pattern. The Israelites have turned away from God. They're worshipping idols. They've been invaded by this Canaanite army for 20 years. 20 years they've been putting up with this violence. And finally, they decide to cry out to the Lord. Verse 4. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, who lived in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So here's Deborah. She's judging at the time, and she gets a word from the Lord that now is the time, after 20 years of these attacks from the Canaanite army, now is the time that God is going to go before them, raise up an army, and they're going to be victorious. And so she calls the leader of the army, Barak. Verse 8. Barak said to her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, it's not really clear why Barak wanted Deborah to go with him. It could be that he, he didn't really trust that this was a word from the Lord. It could be that he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to get 10,000 men to fight. Or it could be a sign that he just wanted a prophet to go into battle with him. Verse 9. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honour in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah's answer to Barak suggests that perhaps he was having trouble taking orders from a woman. And as a result of his lack of faith, he is not going to be given the honour, which we wouldn't consider an honour, but an honour in those days of killing the leader of the Canaanite army. And a woman did end up killing Sisera. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera for the Lord is marching ahead of you. 
So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, and when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. So the Israelite army is successful against the much more powerful Canaanite army because God has gone before them and because God has set this in motion. And then in Judges 5, 6, it's the song that they sing about Deborah. Judges 5, 6, in the days of Shagmar, who was a judge before Deborah, people avoided the main roads and travellers stayed on winding paths. They were scared to go about their daily business because these attacks had kept coming on them. Verse 7, And there were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates, yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. So even though they were being attacked, they weren't defending themselves. They weren't organised until Deborah had a word from God and she said, now is the time that we are going to go into battle and win this war. And the song finishes with, Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera, but may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. So a bit of a gruesome story but very much a part of their life at the time. And I, I think the thing that stands out for me about Deborah is that she knew the call of God on her life. And she didn't let the people around her or their lack of faith stop her from doing what God wanted. And I think there's lots of things that we can learn from Deborah, but here's three. The first one is that Deborah's obedient. Now, sometimes we, we don't understand the plans of God, and I'm the first to admit that a lot of things that have happened in my life, I would never have chosen. If I were God, I would not have had those things happen to me. But I'm not in a position to really judge God that way because he sees into eternity he sees the things that he needs to mould and correct me over. He sees the experiences that I need to make me more like Jesus. And so we're not in a position to judge God. So when he calls us to step out and do something that's different, or when he tells us to stop doing something, or when he tells us to speak up about something, then we need to be obedient, as Deborah was. And Deborah, I think she's brave. And she's brave because she trusted God. She had such a faith in God that she knew that she could go with Barak and that God would have the victory. You know, Barak could have gone by himself and the outcome would have been the same. There still would have been a victory over the Canaanites. But Deborah doesn't hesitate in going with him and being the voice of God that she needed, that he needed. So she puts herself in harm's way, but she clearly had faith that God was going before them. And I think bravery comes from that solid foundation of knowing who God is, 
knowing that he's in control, knowing that his love for us is unconditional, knowing that he's not going to allow anything to happen to us that isn't ultimately for our good. And the third thing is that Deborah stood firm. I think it's, it can be easy when we get uh, different you know, people around us saying different things and we feel like maybe um, we can't stand up for our Christian faith. But she wasn't swayed by what was happening at the time. She wasn't swayed by there was a lack of drive on the Israelites to call out to God for help or even to get organised to fight against their enemies. She wasn't swayed by any of that. She wasn't put off by Barak's request to go with him. She knew what God wanted. She kept her eyes on him. So I think Deborah is a good example of having faith in God and in his word. And that's what we need. We need faith in God and in his word. And faith, it grows and it comes as we walk with God, as we, we experience his, his uh, working in our lives, as we read the word, as we come to know who he is, faith will grow. And also, if we're lacking faith, we can ask him for it because it is one of the gifts of the Spirit. When I was a little girl, my parents sent me to Sunday school. And when friends would come around for a barbecue or something, they would laugh about it and say, oh, we send Kerry to Sunday school to get rid of her for a while. In other words, it was babysitting. And I would come home from Sunday school and they'd ask me, what did you learn today? And I'd tell them and they'd say, oh, don't believe that rubbish. That's all rubbish. I love Sunday school. They sent me from when I was about four and a half. And when I was 10, I had this incredible experience in my room. And my, my house was not a safe place to be in. But in this, in this place in my room at this time, somehow I felt the presence of God and it was as if the whole of the room was full with this radiant light. It must have been some sort of waking vision. I don't know exactly what it is, I can't explain it. But I knew without a doubt that God was real, that Jesus was real, that everything that I'd been learning at Sunday school was real. And so I was so excited to go to Sunday school and to share this. So on Sunday we would have, all of the, the kids would be in with the, the main worship and then we would go out and we'd have a leader who would do Bible study with us. And so I was excited to tell the leader, you know, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a minister. And he, he laughed at me. Now, I can imagine I was a fairly precocious little girl. And you can understand how that might have seemed quite strange to him. He did then say, well, you can grow up and marry a minister because that was very much the way of thinking back then in the early 60s. Women didn't become ministers. And as a little girl, that's the only way I saw that I could serve God, because the only one who looked like they were fully committed to God was the minister to me. And so I wanted to be fully committed to God, and so I wanted to be a minister. 
But I bring this up today because reflecting on Deborah, the call of life on Deborah's, the call of God on Deborah's life, and the call of God on each one of your lives, it is very important that we we seek the guidance and the help of the body of Christ. When we feel that God is calling us to do something, we need to ask others, do you think this is right? Do you think I'm on the right track? Because other people can see things in us that we don't see, and other people maybe have walked with God for longer than we have, and there's wisdom in the body of Christ. But as the body of Christ, we need to make sure that we don't impose our own biases or our own expectations of who God is going to use, that we don't impose that on somebody who feels that God is calling them to do something. And even Deborah, I, when I was preparing this, this talk, I read a number of commentaries. And some of the, the men who were commenting on Deborah had a problem with the fact that God had called a woman. Why would God call a woman at this time in Israel's history? And so they had various explanations. And one of them was that God searched around Israel to find a man, couldn't find one, and chose Deborah, as if Deborah was plan B. And another one was that God chose Deborah in order to shame Israel. And look, maybe they're right, but I also wonder whether their biases, their expectations that God would not use a woman was influencing the way they were seeing Deborah. Because God uses ordinary people, God uses unexpected people. And he doesn't have plan Bs. None of us is a plan B. God's plans are always perfect. So we need to make sure that we don't set our own standards, our own expectations on somebody else who is called by God, but also on ourselves. So if you're sitting here thinking, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too short, I'm too tall, I don't have enough faith, I don't have the skills, I don't have enough uh, of education, I don't have enough faith. If you're sitting there making a list of reasons why God will not call you, then let me assure you that you are perfect for God. Because none of us are worthy. None of us knows enough. None of us are competent enough. None of us are brave enough for none of us. And yet it is God who chooses to work with us. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He can do everything on his own. He doesn't need us. But he wants to do things with us. He wants to partner with us. And he has good works for each one of you. He has good works for each one of you that he wants to invite you to come and do. God's plan is to call each one of us to achieve his purposes. And those negative thoughts that you have, that's not how God sees you. 
and they don't limit God. And so we need to make sure that we don't limit ourselves or other people. So if you have excuses why God can't use you, then you are perfect for God. So let's today be a people of God who says yes to God's plan for our life. Let's wake up to God's plan for our lives. Let's wake up to the call that God has on your life because we need each other to hear the call of God, to minister to us in the body of Christ, to minister to people outside. We need everyone engaged. We need everyone to understand what God is calling you to do. So let's be like Deborah. Let's say yes to God over and over again and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Father, I just want to confess that I limit what you do in my life because I think I'm not worthy. I ask, Lord, that you would release me and release everybody in this room and everyone online from the limitations that we put on ourselves or the limitations that we put on other people, Lord God, because you use unexpected people. You use ordinary people. You use people who have got flaws. You use people who are not ready. But in your strength, Lord God, we can do all the things you call us to do. So let us wake up to the call you have on our lives, Lord God. And give us ears to hear your voice. Give us eyes to see your plan. Give us excitement and courage and bravery to follow through on the things that you're asking us to do. Lord, give us everything that we need to trust you and recognize the call in our life.